call me Al, you can call me Ed, you just, just fucking call me, why don't you? Hey everybody now, welcome to Live on Four Legs, a definitive live Pearl Jam podcast. We have a special episode for you today. As you all know, tour just happened, dwindling down, a lot of people might have post-tour depression. I seem to have what I like to call happy that it happened <laughs> in retrospect instead of post-tour depression because I'm just on cloud nine that we've still gotten all these amazing shows. And one of the amazing shows, and if you looked at social media, you might have seen I made a top eight list. And I believe I had the Fort Worth Night 2 show at either number two or number three. Very, very high. I really like this show. And there's one reason that really made it stick out above everything else. Not Undone, not Brain of Jay that I obviously missed. You probably know that story, but not Brain of Jay. It was the speech that Ed made towards the end of the night where he reads a poem from the Poet Laureate of Dallas, Texas. Just this wonderful, vulnerable, impassioned story about his life and what Pearl Jam had meant to him when times were really, really difficult. And amazing to kind of see in that like whole sequence of five to 10 minutes where he reads this poem and then you get to see Joaquin come on stage and start dancing and celebrating the moment with Ed. It's a real beautiful thing. And it's something that Pearl Jam tries to make happen as much as they can, but you know, you can never replicate something like this. So today we have something very special for you. We are going to have on our show. Hold on. Hold on. I'm going to try. I'm going to try this. I'm, I've been working on it. Ziwataneho. Joaquin Ziwataneho. Got it. Okay. Yes. All right. So so today we are going to be interviewing Joaquin Ziwataneho. Wonderful. We cannot wait to talk to him. We cannot wait for him to tell a story. So we're just going to get into it. Randy Sobel over here. John Farrar over there. Yep. Yep. So what are you excited about? What do you want to talk about today? I want to talk about Pearl Jam. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was asking John. I wanted to give you oh, a John. big lead in. Oh, okay. That's John, okay. John, no, spoil, spoiler alert. He's here. <laughs> <laughs> this is how you start a podcast, everyone. Joaquin, yeah, thank no, you. He's our, he's our distinguished guest. That, oh, that's, that's very who people much so. want to hear from. They can hear from me every week. Right. <laughs> Again, thank you so much for coming on and doing Absolutely. this. This is so cool just to have you here and we're all on video chat and we all get to see each other's face light up and laugh and everything like that. So I think this is going to be a lot of fun. John, do you have a, a, a top five list of shows from this last tour as well? Oh, I have not. I, I want to go back and, and hear all the bootlegs first because it's, it's hard getting the live streams and everything. But as far as moments go, like that moment when Ed read that whole thing that you wrote, just like that was one of the best moments for me of the whole tour because like he like that was not a short piece that you did he, no. he took a lot of time out of the show to do that and you know that he only does that when it's something that's very meaningful very powerful i just want to start with like how much did you know ahead of time what was going to happen oh my goodness that's that that's that's the beginning of all of this is is where it all started um all cards on the table i, I have to tell the truth because i'm a poet I was not going to the Wednesday show or the Friday show because I was scheduled to be out of town uh, working with high school students on Wednesday in another state, working with university students on that Friday in another state coming home Saturday morning. Um, I was at the event uh, with high school students on Wednesday night when my agent called me and said, hey, Joaquin, I've got some bad news about the Friday event at the college in, in uh, Washington State, the student organization that was bringing you in to work with these 20 students, they've had a little bit of a COVID uptick and they want to push that event to next spring. Okay, are you okay with that? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And I didn't, it didn't really set in me in on me, me that I was free. So I, I fly home Thursday morning and as, as soon as I wake up, I think to myself, oh my God, I'm home tomorrow. I can go to the show. I don't have tickets. Uh, but I'm going to try and find some. So I found a couple of balcony seats online and uh, they were upper, upper balcony. Cause I was, I'm a baller on a budget. 
And, and uh, I called my daughter. My youngest daughter has always wanted to see Pearl Jam with me because I've been many times, but not with her. And uh, she wanted, uh, you know, she said, you know, next time, dad, we're going to do this. And she, she thought I was going to be out of town too. So this was all kind of a surprise to her. And that's when I called her and said, hey, I got us a couple of cheap seats, but there's not a bad seat in that arena. It's you're going to love it. This is going to be a great show. We're going to see Pearl Jam tomorrow night. This is Thursday morning. And she says to me, oh, my gosh, dad, I've been planning my best friend's surprise birthday party tomorrow night for weeks since uh, we weren't going to the uh, show. And like uh, I'm throwing the whole thing for her. Uh, and I said, you're kidding me. And she said, no, I'm so sorry. So I walked next door because my wife had a, she had a work thing. She had to work that through the evening. It was a whole thing for her. So I walked next door to my best friend's house. My best friend is my next door neighbor, Paul. He's 75 years old and he's my best friend. <laughs> just, he's just awesome. And I said to him, Paul, guess what you're doing with me tomorrow night? He said, what? And I said, we're going to see Pearl Jam. And he said, ooh, what is that? Rock and roll? And I said, yes, it's rock and roll. And you're going to love it. You're going to have the time of your life. And he said, all right, I'm in. And so that was my, going to be my day for the evening. My 75-year-old my best friend, neighbor, Paul. And Thursday night, 10 p.m., I post on Facebook a picture of Ed. So ex And I, I posted something like, I'm so excited that I get to go see Pearl Jam tomorrow. I wasn't going to be able to. Life is so wonderful. Can't wait to see him rock it tomorrow night in Fort Worth. And that's just what I posted, just a little thing. And... Friday morning, day of show, I wake up and I get a message, a Facebook message from a writer that I know in Southern California, met her at a writer, writer's conference. And she said to me, Joaquin, I saw your lovely post about going to see Pearl Jam last night. I took a photo of it because I'm really good friends with Ed's mom. And I sent her the photo uh, and I told her all the things you've been doing as a poet laureate in Dallas for youth poets and all the things you, you do traveling around the country, working with youth writers. And she sent back the loveliest little message. She said, oh, my goodness, I hope my son gets to meet this poet man. <laughs> and I thought it was so cool <laughs> that Eddie Benner's mom thought to say, I hope he gets to meet me. And that was how I woke up to this little message Friday morning. And I sat with that for about an hour till about 10 a.m. And then I thought to myself, I have an indirect line to Eddie Vedder. Like I can actually write something that I've always wanted to say to him and to the band uh, for what their music's meant to me over the course of my entire, you know, my life, over the last 30 years of my life. And um, this is my opportunity, you know? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot my shot. So I wrote this thing and the original version, by the way, was much longer. I realized, whoa, this is a long text I'm sending. So I tried to edit it down and it is lengthy. The first version was like 10 minutes. And I, so I got it down to about a four minute thing, a letter poem of sorts. And I sent it to my, my friend, this writer I know. And people have been asking me for the writer's name. And I've been saying, I just don't want to say the writer's name because I don't want people to bombard that writer. Of course. With, yeah. with, you know, with requests to meet Eddie's mom or what have you, or to link to. So I sent it to her and I said, could you just please forward this to, to Eddie's mom and, and see if she could pass it on to him? It's just something I wrote for him that I'd, I'd love for him to read. And that was it. I sent it, I sent it to her and went about my day. And I... Uh, Asked my neighbor, Paul, you know, is it cool if we go see the opening act? And he said, why don't we have a nice dinner? And we'll go right before Pearl Jam takes the stage. And I was like, oh, are you sure? And he's like, I'm an old man. I can't do that much concert in one night. <laughs> and I said, okay. So I gave in to his wishes. And we were actually driving at 6.30 p.m. to go have a, a nice dinner. And I get a call from this writer that I know. Normally, I just get a Facebook message from, from her. But it was a call. And I picked it up. And I was like, hey. And she goes, Turn off your unrecognized phone call block on your phone for just a bit, because if you get an unrecognized call in the next few minutes, answer it. That's all I have to say. Bye. And she hung up. And I do have unrecognized calls blocked on my phone. So I went to my settings and I turned the unrecognized call block off so I could get an unrecognized call. And about 10 minutes later, I get a phone call. And he, uh, the voice says, Hey, is this Joaquin? And I said, yeah, hi, this is Joaquin. And he goes, hey, I'm with the band management of Pearl Jam. My name's Mark. And Eddie got your note. And it really moved him. And he shared it with a band. And they were all really, really touched by what you wrote. 
And they wanted to thank you for writing that. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it got to him. Thank, please thank them for me that, for even reading it. I was just so happy. And he goes, well, are you coming to the show tonight in Fort Worth? I said, yes, I am. Section 209, like Rose, like Rose, I'll be in the back, but I'll be yelling loud. Trust me, they'll feel my energy. And he said, well, we got you two seats on the front row of the lower balcony right beside the stage. And I said, oh my gosh, you're kidding me. And he said, and uh, if, if you come and, and be their guest, uh, we'll leave those two tickets for you at will call and Eddie's gonna leave a note for you in, in, with the tickets. And it's hard to see, but this is a note that Eddie left me with the tickets. It's the set Sounds list. like the set list, yeah. And there's a little notation that's handwritten that says, come to side stage now. Oh. Wow. And so we get to, we decide to scrap the dinner and we just hustle to the show to get there as early as we can. And we walk in and, and this note's at Will Call and the tickets are at Will Call and there's a side stage pass at Will Call. And we go to our seats and after sitting down, someone from the, the band's management team comes over and they're like, you're, you're Joaquin, right? I said, yeah, yeah. And they said, so did you see the note from Eddie? And I said, yeah. And they, he said, you're going to want to come to side stage, but don't worry, I'm going to come and get you. And I'll walk you down there at that moment. I seriously thought he was going to just shout me out, like say, hey, we got a really nice poem letter from this guy named Joaquin. He's beside the stage. I'll make some noise for him. Like I thought that was going to be, like literally that's all he was going to do was just say thank you. And uh, by the way, the show, oh my God gosh it was a it was a, a face melter it was just it couldn't have been any better i've seen them a handful of times and i think but of course i want to say it was my favorite because i was on stage but outside of that it was such a beautiful show just the sound of it that that arena is, there's something really nice about that arena in terms of the sound and just the way it's structured there's not a bad seat in that arena and uh it was just a beautiful beautiful show so energetic it was so great. I know that they were fighting something, you know, that, that Ed was fighting something. And, 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 but, um, the, the show was incredible. My neighbor, Paul was having a good time. He was enjoying the music. And then they came and got me to walk me around to the side stage. And, uh, that's when it all happened. I just couldn't believe it. What happened happened, you know, just amazing. I remember the moment and, you know, through technology, we're thankfully able to, you know, do, due to the thousands of kind people that go out there and hold up their phones at shows that we do get live streams that get streamed over on our Facebook. And we were thankful to get a full live show. I'm going to shout out Anthony because I believe this was Anthony's show that he did. And from what I can tell on the other side of it, it sounded like in that building that you couldn't you could hear a pin drop. Oh, yeah, that it was that while he was reading it, it was that dead silent that everybody like knew over the first like line or two that, oh, this is this is something deep, deep from the heart. Yeah, that was really powerful because, of course, whenever Eddie's speaking, there's there's energy and there's life force and people are just connected and with him. But within like the first line, the first sentence, the first 10 seconds of what what he read that I wrote, like that's when the energy just clicked and you know, I've likened their shows in the past, like what I always thought church would feel like, like, like it, it feels like what a true religious experience should be in terms of like the connection to the humanity. And like, I don't know, it just felt like something sort of sacred in a way was happening. And, and we were all kind of leaning in uh, and, and, and I don't know if you've heard it, but, I was overwhelmed by what was happening, but I was also overwhelmed by the fact that Ed's voice, like his voice was, his voice was like quivering and, and like he was super emotional. And like that just like moved me to tears just to to know that, that he was really feeling, you know, what I wrote. And like you said, it got to a point about 10 seconds into it where 13,000 people who were just dancing and, and singing and screaming and full of joy and light and energy and life, we're just listening, like like listening to a friend uh, intently, you know? It was amazing. That, yeah, that sounds incredible. And it's, you know, the band does good by their fans. And I think we said the whole entire run of these eight shows, what was supposed to be nine, was that this was really a, a tour 
that gave back the fan service, not only in songs, but in stories as well. And in requests and like fun little things. I mentioned the severed hand guy, I think off, uh, off recording. I mentioned that, but like also like little other things It's just interactions with people. And it, it felt, and going back, uh, the undone story that was that night and going, that's yes. going back to, I believe the first or second Minnesota show where somebody requested it. And yep. then that's kind of bringing that whole thing back full circle. And, you know, and in times like that also, like he kind of sees that there are people in this community that could either be grieving that could be going through extremely difficult times. And I think he has the wherewithal to kind of see that and bring that to the table to share with everybody. Cause you just never know what everybody is going through and what they're keeping inside of them. And him reading what you had written, I think could have hit home for so many people that were there. And I'm sure, you know, there was not a dry eye in my house. Mm. That's for sure. Uh, there, I, I can even fathom how it would have gone down. I, I remember actually we were we do a, a Zoom where a bunch of us get on the Zoom call. We all watch the live stream and we all comment and stuff like that. But when we realized what was going on, we were it was like six of us. We were all dead silent during it. Oh. And oh. I just remember that when he finished up and they got into a live, the only thing that I could say is that well, that'll be a top three moment of the year. <laughs> you know, and you talk you talk about uh, the effect that it had on the people there. That was, without question, after the show, the, the most time-consuming walk to my car out of an arena. Because <laughs> I kid you not, over 100 people stopped me and said, Joaquin, you're, you were on stage. Uh, what you read, what, what he read that was, you wrote that it was like, you were telling my story. Like that was like the story of me and my dad or, or people were coming up to me just to say, that was so beautiful. Thank you for making, writing that to him and making it a part of our show tonight. I, I live in Dallas and the show was in Fort Worth. I even had a family come up to me because I did a workshop at, at, a, at a, a, a preparatory school for young boys. And the family that was there was there with their young boys who I had taught a workshop at their school oh, wow. a few weeks earlier. And Ed threw two tambourines to the two boys and no they way. asked me to, to autograph their tambourines <laughs> and Sharpie. And, you know, just, I, I was overwhelmed by just, cause I, we all know like there's, there's nothing like the Pearl Jam community. I mean, all bands have great fans. They really do. But I mean, like, I just think the connection and the shared humanity that happens at a Pearl Jam show, it's like nothing else in the world. And man, I was just overwhelmed by just light and uh, just connection uh, afterwards. It was, it was, man, I found myself like talking to people, you know, on my way to the car and I was having conversation. I was crying and they were crying and it was just like, ah, it was just, it was, it was magic. It was absolute magic. It was funny because Ed, you know, when I, when it all happened, Ed, you know, if you look at the video, Ed says, we had uh, at the first show, the Wednesday show, we had a, a NASA scientist. And I was like, Amber, oh, yeah. I said, I wonder where he's going with this. And then he said, you know, we're equally honored. I'm equally honored to have the first ever Dallas poet. And when he said Dallas poet, I was like, oh my gosh, Eddie Vedder is talking about me to these people. He's about, this is, I, this, I think he's going to thank me. And then it turned into more than thanking me. It turned it into him reading that piece and coming out. And, and after he read the piece, uh, he starts walking toward me and there's a, a, a beautiful man beside stage. Cause I'm just kind of like in shock who gave me the most lovely, gentle push up the stairs. <laughs> He's like pushing me to go up toward Eddie. And I'm like, okay. So I walked up the stairs and onto the stage. And I don't know if you can see it in the video. Like he just opens his arms and I open mine and we just hug. Like I just hug this person whose music and art has meant so much to me and who's that saved me. Like I even put in the letter about, you know, after my grandfather died, there were there were a few years where I was homeless and I like I was fatherless and I, I you know my mom was so young when she had me she was busy being young and I felt like I had no one you know for a time in my life and then because of that I fell into a depression and uh, you know and you know I talked about like sleeping outside like at at a park 
and having my headphones and like always getting my hustle on to have batteries for my headphones so that I could play Pearl Jam. So I, I, you know, I wasn't alone under a pavilion at midnight. I wasn't alone. I had, I had that music with me. I had 10 with me and I had Vitalogy with me and like, it was my saving grace. It was, you know, so much of that music and lyrics and art that they gave me found its way into my own writing and my own poetry. And, and, and just, you know, when he, when he hugged me, I just, I, I, I whispered something in his ear and he whispered something back and people have been asking me, what'd you whisper? And I was like, that, that's just for me. Like that moment I'm going to keep just, I, we, I got to share a big moment with 13,000 people and everyone who saw it online, but I want to keep what I whispered into his ear and what he whispered back to me just for me. That's and, personal. Um, Understood. Yeah. And, and he, you know, and then he put, you know, we kind of like we're touching each other's arms and he's, you know, he, we're just sharing this moment and the opening riff of Alive kicks in. And I'm standing on the stage as the opening riff of Alive kicks in, staring right at Eddie's face and he's staring back at me and we're both really emotional. And oh my God, it was just, I just, I stepped back and let them just have the stage. And I just, um, you know, I was dancing and, and bobbing my head and I took my hair down. So it was kind of everywhere. And, uh, but I'm also still crying a little bit because it was such a beautiful moment. And it was a kind of an overwhelming moment and something I never thought I'd get to do. And I, I just feel so grateful that I got to do it, that I got to say, thank you. You don't all get to do that. If, if we learn something from this whole thing, I think there's one very important thing that we need to know. And I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just stating this as kind of a fact. It's that Ed loves his mother so much that if his mother during the tour is sending him something like this, he's going to stop and take notice and read it. There's a lot of things going on during Pearl yeah. Jam shows backstage before after it doesn't matter. There's so much that they have to worry about. Ed writes every single set list and calligraphy that it takes so much time. He has to figure out all the stuff like is to obviously they got to eat. They got to get together and sound check. There's a lot of stuff that makes the magic mm -hmm. happen. So if he got that message from his mom at like two o'clock, then that is the prime territory of like, I, maybe he doesn't have his phone on him usually. Exactly. And that's why that, I thought it was such a total shot in the dark because I thought, you're right. Like there, there's a million balls in the air at that on that day, the day of the show. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I can't believe it got to him, and I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful that it did. Well, if uh, if people haven't had a chance to to go back and read it, we do have it on our website oh, on you. the uh, on the concertpedia page for that show. I highly recommend everyone go back and read it if you haven't seen the clip lately. But yeah, you you mentioned it being on the side stage for for, for live, and then what happens during? Are they like, <laughs> come on, you got to you got to come back out, like. <laughs> how, how did you get to show off your dance moves there? So, the, uh, so yeah. um, the opening band came up, of course, uh, and we're standing side stage because I think it was planned that they were going to come out and rejoice and dance and tambourine and, and play drums and as well. That you know, they I think they had that moment planned. So they come up and they are all thanking me for writing what I wrote. And they heard it backstage and like we're sharing this kind of great moment. And it was sort of like house lights up for for a moment. So having this conversation with them was really cool. And um, and then of course. The song kicks in and, and they're ushered on by the person who gently pushed me up the steps, said to them, no, no y'all got to go now. Go, 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 go. And they rush up and Ed's throwing them tambourines and, and, and everyone is singing on stage and everyone's dancing. And I'm just kind of like dancing beside the stage. And I, I'm kind of I don't know why, but I just kind of had my eyes on Eddie, like in this one moment of the song and our eyes kind of lock. And I see him off mic go, Joaquin, come here, Joaquin come here and I'm not going to say no. So I ran up the steps and as I'm running up, he's, he goes, come here. And he, I don't think he wanted to throw me a tambourine for some reason. He just handed it to me. So he hands me this tambourine and I just step back to the back. I'm just trying to just enjoy the moment. I pulled out my phone and took some photos of me on stage with Eddie Vedder. I'll share those with y'all after this event. So you can look at those as well. Sure. And just kind of dancing and taking it all in. And I was kind of also like, my eyes were, were drawn to the, the, the fans on on the behind the stage who had the the spin the black bottle drained mm. down and it has it fallen off and it's at that point it said pin the black the black black circle yeah. and um and so and I was waving to them and they were waving back and I was just trying to take in everything that I could because I realized 
I'm never going to have this moment again. Like this is a once in a lifetime moment to just kind of look around and, and see it all. So even though I was dancing a lot, I was still kind of just like taking it all in and looking at faces and watching them watch the stage because it was such a weird vantage point to be from. And that was awesome. Seeing the faces watch the band from that perspective was like nothing I'd ever experienced. And then I noticed that the, the that you know they were all harmonizing together and 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 got to a, you know to a chorus and whatnot. And then I look over and I see I, I just caught Ed again and and he goes and he's pointing <laughs> to us like on this mic. And so I just run up there full speed and get on right in time for the chorus. And 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 uh, it's funny my neighbor Paul who filmed who filmed it he said to me, you know you stepped away dramatically and came back and sang again. He said, you look like you've been doing this forever. He goes, I was so proud of you. You look like a real rock star up there. And he gave you he another said, yeah, shout out so. during the song. He, he yelled your name. I think I was right when you, you know, Joaquin, like he yes, was yelling yes. for you. Hear it in the song. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I, I ended up uh, rocking in the free world on the stage for rocking in the free world. And I, uh, yeah, I couldn't believe it. And uh, I haven't danced that hard in a long time. And it felt great to dance on stage with, with the band and it felt great to to be able to I, the first thing i did when i ran on was i i just like after ed handed me the the tamarind i i bumped him i fist bumped him and then i went to each band member um except matt who's busy drumming i to all that and they like came away from the guitar for or the bass for a moment stone and everybody and jeff and and, and dapped me and uh even when when we when i finished dancing and came off and they closed the show out they were so kind because as they were walking off uh, the upper rail to go immediately backstage. I was still kind of right there below them, uh, below the rail they walked on, but like, I mean, like within arm's reach. And I kind of had my fist out to bump them each one last time to thank them. And as, as they were bumping my fist, I was saying, thank you. Thank you so much. And um, Jeff stopped short. And and he said, because as, as I bumped him, he said, it's so cool that you're a poet laureate. And I said, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. And he said, he said, um, I got a friend who's the poet laureate of Montana. I need to connect you to. Of he does. I need to connect you to. And I said, yes, do. And he, he, he ran off. So, um, and that's what, what's really crazy is the show ends and I'm standing beside the stage and I can tell, I can see the, 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 the sort of ushering of a select few fans back to maybe have a moment with, with Ed and the band it's what it looked like was, or maybe it was family members or something. I don't know, but there was this little congregation of four or five people who went backstage. And I thought to myself, maybe I should go backstage. Maybe I'm supposed to meet the band too, just to, just to say thank you again. But then I, I saw them go and I thought, I don't know why. I just thought to myself, I have been given so much. Like this was such a gift for me. I don't know that I need it. Need anymore than I've been given already. So I want to let whoever's going back there uh, have that moment. And I'm going to go check on my 75 year old friend who's sitting on the lower balcony first row for the last 30 or 40 minutes, make sure he's okay and uh, check on him and, and, and call it a beautiful night. And that's what I did. Let me tell you for my money and we've watched a, quite a lot of Pearl Jam shows in my lifetime. Next to one person who I'll explain in a second, you were the happiest person that I've ever seen on a Pearl Jam stage. <laughs> there have been a lot of people and not as many as you think, because obviously band members excluded, you know, sometimes you get some, the opener band and other guys yeah. like that, that come on and very rarely do you get a, uh, a fan or somebody that's in your position that got a shout out to come on stage and interact like that. But I, like you couldn't wipe the smile off your face. I, I love you were you weren't just dancing. You were from stage to stage, and you're right. You took advantage of the whole thing. You went up to every guy, and it was <laughs> like you can live vicariously through that and be like, that is the Pearl Jam fan moment right there. <laughs> that is what we all kind of dream of. We all dream that Ed <laughs> one day would recognize us for doing something that we feel like is important. And and then go on stage, give them a big hug and dance. Absolutely. <laughs> Nothing better than that. 
I, I talked to a young poet from Dallas not too long ago who's thinking of applying to be the next Dallas Poet Laureate. And I was like, yes, you absolutely should. And the other day she contacted me and she said, so wait, Joaquin, are you telling me that if I become the next Dallas Poet Laureate, I'm going to get to dance on a stage with Beyonce and, and hug her and high five her and she'll hand me a tambourine? And I said, I can't promise that. I, I cannot you set the bar that, very high. Yeah. I said, be, be, I said, just be kind and do good and good things come back to you if, you if you try and be kind and good. And that's my motto. That's incredible. By the way, the other happiest person, and this has kind of become an inside joke within the podcast the last week or so. Uh, there's a, a show in Melbourne, 2003 where a fan jumps right onto the stage during do the evolution. And he could have gotten take out and taken out by security, but Ed's like, no, 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 we handle this. And all he did with Ed that whole entire time was dance, sing, have him on his shoulders. And <laughs> it was, I'll send you a video clip once we're do. done here. It's, it's incredible. We, I didn't even know about this moment until like uh, a week or two ago, wow. like just because it's Australia and we're in the States and it just doesn't get talked about in our circles as much. But I mean, that's a guy we need to find for the next interview. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you know, we, you said it before we started talking. I, I asked you, like, how how's it been waking up every day in the afterglow of this? So can you talk a little bit about that? Just like, Absolutely. you know, you, you said your wife was like, what's this face for? <laughs> exactly. My wife, ever since the show is she's just like stopped me in the kitchen or, you know, out of the car or in the grocery store. And she's turned to me and she's like, you know, you're still doing it right. And I, I, I said, what, what am I still doing? And she goes, you're still smiling. You haven't stopped smiling since Pearl Jam. She goes, you do know that, right? And I said, yes, I know. I'm sorry. I'll try and control this smile as much as I can. And then she pulled me aside and she's like, look, I'm, I mess with you a lot. She goes, but I'm sorry that I couldn't be there in that moment with you. But she said to me, I'm so overjoyed that you got to experience that because She's like, I know what their music means to you. And I know that uh, you've told me before that, 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 that my wife has a big Bjork thing. She's a, she's a big Bjork person. She's like, I know that the way I talk about Bjork's music is, is sort of what you've talked with me about, about, uh, about Pearl Jam's music. That it was, you know, it's almost like they were telling your story in a way. And for you to be able to thank them, she's like, as much as I mess with you about smiling, I understand this is going to be a thing for a few months. She's like, I get it. You'll, she goes, you'll stub your toe on the couch or something in a few months and you'll come back down to earth. But she's <laughs> like, keep floating for now. Keep floating for now. How, how about did you? you uh, how did ahead. you break it to the family with the next day? Like, obviously they didn't know all this happened such last minute. Do you, the next morning, you just like text them all a YouTube link? Like, just so <laughs> you guys know, here's what happened. Yeah, you I know, wanted first, to specifically ask about your daughter, actually. The first yeah. person I reached out to was my daughter. The first person I reached out to was my daughter. Uh, right after the show. I mean, right after the show, I got into the car. And Paul, my neighbor, was saying, let's go. Let's go efficiently so we can beat the line. I said, oh, give me one second. I've got to text one person and that's it. Then we'll go. And I texted my daughter and I said, um, I don't want you to find out on YouTube. I don't want you to find out from a stranger. But I just sang and danced with Eddie Vedder on stage. It's not a joke. It happened. I don't want you to be upset. I don't want you to feel unhappy. I know you had a great night at the birthday party. I know you did a great thing for your friend. Trust me. We're going to go to a show. It's going to be magical. We're going to dance our butts off. We're going to feel connected with 15,000 other people. And you're going to get to experience it with me. Don't feel bad. Uh, I love you. Don't feel bad. And sure enough, she got my message the next morning. She, she called me and she was like, two people sent me something before I got your message. She goes, I'm so happy for you, dad. <laughs> so she was actually great about it. I was so, I was a little, uh, 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 partly relieved that she wasn't heartbroken that, uh, that, that, this, that she didn't get to be a part of it. Because when they asked Paul to come down to the side stage, he was like, no, no, I want no part of that. I guarantee my daughter would have been on that stage with a tambourine in her hand because there's no way she would have let me dance without her on that stage. So, yeah. um, but we'll have our chance. We'll, we'll, we'll there, there's, there's plenty of, of Pearl Jam shows in the future. Absolutely. Sure, you know? Yep. I want to know a little bit about like your Pearl Jam fandom before this though. Cause uh, you know, there's a, obviously you said, you know, this goes back to 10 vitality. Well, 
tell us a little something. Tell about tell us about how you figured out that you were huge into this band. What songs resonated with you? Like, I, tell a little bit about it. I think for me, um, I mentioned the fact that you know that my father. Uh, in the letter, I mentioned the fact that my father left the year I was born, and um, I, I I know who my father is. I you know I've always known his name. I've always known that you know he lived in a town, you know, an hour away or whatever. Um, but it always felt like um, there was like this ocean between us, and I, I don't know why that was. But I was a child, and that's just how I felt, even though. You know, I've been told he lives, you know, an hour away in this, you know, suburb beyond a suburb of Dallas. It still just felt like um, like a world away from me. And music was was something that I channeled and to sort of just help me cope with my pain. And I remember being about 19 and 10 had just dropped. And for whatever reason, um, I think I was with a friend of mine and uh, they had just put in this, they, they had the CD in the car and I, I, I've been wanting to hear this, this whole album in its entirety, but they had already like played it. And it was at a point uh, near the end of the album and of the CD. And it was in, it was going right into release. Like it was going right into release. And like, this is me hearing 10, hearing this album, hearing release for the first time in my life. And the words, like just the words, it was like, I was, it was like I was hearing my story. It was like I was hearing my pain. It was like I was hearing that ocean of distance between me and another person that, um, I don't know, should be worlds closer, that were worlds apart from each other. And I remember just like crying. I was, I, I remember weeping the first time I heard release and I felt released. You know, I felt like, how beautiful is it to know that here's this man who through his art and, and lyrics and, and this band to their musician, musicianship and their musicality uh, could connect with me and make me think about my dad and think about that distance and feel heartbroken, but in a sense, in a way, feel a little heart mended, heart mended at the same time that someone could put something together that was in a way so tragic, but in a, in a bigger way, so beautiful to me, that's it's, it's the most beautiful song I've ever heard, even to this day. Um, I remember when I saw them at Wrigley and they opened with release, like they opened, they walked out and went right in. And I just, I just started crying. I just like, I, I couldn't control myself. I just started crying. The person next to me was like, are you okay? And I was like, yes, it's just this song. You know, this this song and I go way back and uh, the song saved me in a very real way. Um, and then going into the album, I, I feel like a lot of a lot of the early lyrics that Ed was writing were, uh, you know, very father and son driven. You know, um, what do you think about that? Do you think that there's something to that? The early work, the first few albums having sort of that that distance depicted? Yes, I do. I think from when the Mama Son was written, because he had been in a band, Bad Radio, and they were kind of like very closer to Red Hot Chili Peppers than, you know, something that uh, Stone and Jeff had wanted to do was kind of turn into more of the artsy band like Jane's Addiction. And when he was given the tape by Jack Irons, it seems that all these thoughts and feelings about his life that maybe, I don't know if he had expressed them. I don't know. We don't know that deep into it. And honestly, it's not for us to know what, what is for us to know is what was recorded and put on the album. But it seemed like that day he went surfing and knew exactly what he wanted to say. And it was the right time to tell that story. And you have, I, I think that I've always thought that the tie-ins with Alive and Release just put the album so well together. Like it just, it bookends it so well. You know, it's the story of like finding it out and then like trying to almost send a message to his father. Like, you know, cause he knows at that moment, like here, here I am, I'm, I'm you know, in the studio, like, and this all happened within barely months this all happened so quickly and he has to be thinking to himself like well 
would you be proud of me in this moment? I, I would never know from the situation that I'm in right now, but I, I need to at least ask. And I think it comes back a lot on earthlings. I think there's sort of a thematic way that earthlings ties together invincible all throughout into the, the ending track on my way. And I think a lot of that are again, messages to his father about things that he's learned about uh, like just life and the beauty of life, fragility of life, which is a huge theme, not just in Pearl Jam, but with Ed in general. Mm. And I, I think that finally there is a little bit of, you know, at, at the end of that record where you hear his father's voice for the first time, I think that it does come full circle with all that. And it feels like that is almost, again, no pun intended, but a release of that whole thing of like i'm i hear his voice and although i can't see him i can't touch him i know he's there mm. you, you know you talk about um you know the impact of the music on me is you know uh, as it relates to what i wrote ed in the note and, and the band of the note and as it relates to me as a person discovering music and discovering my own pain through and and my own healing through the music of Pearl Jam. But I mentioned to you off air that um, right after I, it's so funny that I got released first before live. I, and a few, you know, half an hour later, I experienced live for the first time. After hearing the beautiful release, I hear the the angst feel the live and the, 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 the beautiful, angry rejoicing of life. And um, that album informed a poem that I wrote when I was 19, the first draft of a poem. And uh, as more work came out of the years, I would go back to that poem and mutate it a little more. And uh, every once in a while, I'll get the opportunity to do that poem. It's called Family Tree. And it's uh, it's about my mother, but it's to my father. Uh, because I never, I never really have written anything uh, to both of them or for both of them. Because when I think of my mother, and my father, I always think of them that way as my mother and my father. I always say there's always a, a distance between those two words when I speak it. Whereas a lot of people say, hey, my mom and my dad. So it's like they're one being, you know? Yeah. And uh, every once in a while, uh, I'll get to, I'll get to, and that poem's morphed over the years, but I don't know why, but early on when I would do it at an open mic, I would always frame that, you know, I would say about the poem, I would say, this is a poem that I wrote, but it's framed by two pieces of poetry uh, by Pearl Jam and Eddie Vedder. So it's framed by a song called Release. So you're going to hear that the big, you know, a little bit of it here and a little bit of it there from my voice. And then the, my poem's going to be in the middle. And if you want to hear the rest of the song Release after you hear my poem, you should go find it and you should listen to it because it will make you a better human being. <laughs> <It> will, <laughs> every time you listen to their work, you become a better human being. And so I get to do that, uh, you know, every once in a while. And when I, when I do that poem and, and, and still to this day, I like to, I like to preface it with that and frame it with that, with a, just a little piece of release here and a little piece of release there. And uh, it ends up always being a cathartic moment for me as a poet on a stage, sharing uh, that story of me and my father. It's sort of framed uh, by this other story of Ed and his. And from there, like you have to think a lot of Ed's influences and a lot of things that he takes away from the music he's heard before him and into Pearl Jam, like The Who. That's a huge, you know, everybody knows is influenced by The Who and a ton of other artists, but I'm thinking about The Who and it, it, just that specifically that he can take a little something from there. And then what he brings to the table, if somebody can take something from that influence from him and bring it into something that they're passionate about too, that means the music, I don't want to say the music had worked, but the music had spread. Absolutely. And that's, that is the separation between music and art. I love it. You're so right. I, I had a I had a, a, an event today here in Nebraska and I was working with two teachers and one was in her 40s and one was in her early 20s. And uh, 
you know, we were talking about this moment. She's like, I saw on your Facebook, what happened? <laughs> and we were talking about the Pearl Jam moment. And she was telling me like how much Pearl Jam's music means to her and her husband. And, and, uh, and the 20, the 23 year old teacher who's sort of a mentee of this woman has, has said to me, I got introduced to Pearl Jam through, through her. And, and so I, the music is, it's continuing to change lives because we're passing it on. And, uh, you know, my daughter, uh, who was going to go to that show, she's, you know, 20 and she's, you know, young and, um, I'm passing Pearl Jam on to her and, and I'm hoping that, that she'll do the same for her someday daughter and pass Pearl Jam on to her as well, because, um, she knows my, my, my daughter Dakota has even said to me, you know, when I listen to, to their music, dad, I, I, you know, I understand why you connect with it. I understand why you connect with it. And, uh, that's something I think we get to pass on. That's a beautiful thing. I'm sure you both pass it on to, to, to your, your children and your partners and your friends. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. When, when we're not listening to oblivion music, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, did, 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 uh, didn't they cover let it snow at a show a year ago or maybe two let it go frozen. Okay. Yeah. 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 They did. Yeah. Uh, I didn't ask you daughter. about, um, you know, started writing poetry obviously um poetry and song lyrics have a lot in common but they also are very different lyrics can be a, you have to follow this form and there's music and it's you have this formula and poetry can be a little bit more free but what what kind of thing what kind of influence did like lyrics have on your poetry do you sometimes write and you think of like oh I, this this flows like a song do you sometimes hear music like have you ever written music for for art have you ever written you know lyrics for music what's the what's the correlation been like for you how do how do those things kind of fit together you know i i, I truly believe uh you know music's written in lines and poetry's written in lines like someone asked me one time what's the tool of the poet like what what are the, what tools do you have at your disposal like i know what a carpenter does i know there are tools what is a poet and i told him really the only tool we have is the line that's it because some poems have really long lines and some have really short lines and some have lines that rhyme and they don't like a poem can be this and it can be that, but it has to be written in the line. Even those ones that look like perfect squares. I know poets who do that. They ache over where to create that square so that the line falls where they want it to fall because every line is a movement of thought. It's a movement from this word at the end is so important. That's why I'm accentuating the line at the end with it. Or this word at the beginning is so important. That's why I'm accentuating the beginning with it. Or maybe they're, cross-pollinating with one another and that's why they're at the end in the beginning so great poets ache over their line breaks the way that great musicians ache over writing a line of music a line of, a line of sheet music and i you know I, I i've dabbled uh over the years with uh the occasional country western song i i i'm a big johnny cash fan and um i have another friend who's another poet and 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 here we are this brown i'm a brown poet from dallas and he's a black poet from dallas and, um, you know, we both like to occasionally write the occasional country western song. I don't know why we do, but and we'll share lyrics with each other, but it's really just more for fun than anything else. And he's he's actually an accomplished musician, he's a piano player. And so like he'll take some of the things I write and just pick up a guitar and like start picking and, and put it to, to music. But I remember I was at a conference once and uh, it was a it was a sort of a, a a university showcase conference where like the people who travel to universities are going to showcase their talents at this conference to hopefully you'll book us to come to your university. And of course, I'm a spoken word poet there and I'm doing poetry and there are comedians in the back room waiting with me. And there's also some musicians who have their acoustic guitar with them. And there, I was back I was back in the green room with this, this one gentleman, I forget his name, a country western singer was going to be touring universities. And he was writing and he was picking and he was singing very softly aloud and he was stuck. He was like, he was at a, he was like, and then he, he's, he exasperated some frustration. He was like, arg, man, I wish I could finish this line, you know? And I, but I had heard him repeat it a few times. And I said to him, what about, and then I said a line and he went, damn, that's really good. And I said, you can have it. It's, it just, it fits with the metrical quality of what you just said. And I hope thematically it fits with the heartbreak you were just talking about, because I felt heartbreak and that's what I would have said next. And um, 
I don't know if that song ever anything ever became of that song, but that that, that was my one brush with with like real songwriting <laughs> for a moment in the in the green room of a of a national association of campus activities conference with a young man <laughs> who had a passion for country music. Um, well, it, is, it is true that all poets want to be rock stars, and all rock stars want to be poets. That is exactly. That is exactly. <laughs> and my wife said the same thing. She's like, "I see you up on stage trying to be a rock star with that event. Remember, you're a poet. Remember, you got to take out the trash uh, in a couple sure. of days." So that's I, that's what I love about my wife. She she keeps me grounded and keeps me humbled. I can dance on stage with any better, but I can always count on her to to ground my feet on the earth and get my head out of the clouds. It always happens. <laughs> oh yeah. Well. I don't want to end the conversation. So I got like one, you know, just overarching thing that I, I, I'd i like to talk about. And that's just like your, your show intake. And you can tell, you know, right when you said, Oh, I went to Wrigley and saw the show in Wrigley that you will travel for this band. It's not just when they come to me, it's you go to them. And that's how you know that a band and the music is so important to you that you will drop everything you're doing and you'll go across country, across, uh, you know, international. So how many shows have you been to? And like, what have been some of your, like, obviously outside of Fort Worth, uh, some of your favorites? I, I will say this early on in my, in my Pearl Jam experience, um, I, when I when I first got the CD uh, ten, I borrowed money from friend to buy it, I, and I had to pay him back eventually. Uh, early on, like in those first handful of first few albums, like I was just I was busy grinding. I was busy like trying to survive, and uh, so my show experience has been like over the last you know fifteen years instead of the first fifteen, just because I'm in a position in life where like I I can go to shows, I can you know. There was a time in my life where I was like, I need to buy food. And, you know, and like that was my priority. I, you know, but, but the funny thing is, is I, I travel for work, like I, uh, which is a good and bad thing. Like sometimes it'll put me in Chicago and oh my gosh, you know, I'm done at four with this thing I have to do at a university and they're here at Wrigley. I can set this up. I can make it. I have a friend I can go with. I know a poet I know in Chicago will have a great time. And that's actually happened a handful of times, like five or six times, like work has taken me to a show, like five or six shows right there, just by like work taking me there and just feeling lucky to be able to go outside of that happening uh, because my life as a touring artist and I, I'm just, I, I'm the guy who says yes to everything like I, because I want to teach people about poetry and I want to teach creative writing. And so I, I keep a pretty crazy, hectic schedule. And I now have an agent that keeps me busy during the summer with youth poetry, youth leadership camps. Like who knew there was a youth leadership camp every week of the summer? I didn't know, but my agent <laughs> has known for years. And so, so like my time is, is so limited, but I would say between the five or six shows that I've just been in, you know, there and ended up being able to take in a show at, uh, I've been able to seek out probably another seven or eight on my own. Just you know, I'm going to carve out because I really want to go to this show. Um, I would say probably a dozen, which is not nearly as many as I would loved to have gone to. But it's, it's never as many, right? It's, it's time and it's it's life and daughters and soccer games and you know so, so many things uh, in life pulling you in a lot of different directions. Um, but God bless the Pearl Jam fans who find a way. To, to travel with this band. I, I think it's incredible. Ed called and Fort Worth called out a guy who was like into the last six shows or something. Hey, you know, I see you again. Like there you are. It's amazing. And, and, and they're grateful for it. And the moment, like the moment in the Fort Worth show that was also really special for me was just uh, the shout out, like the, the, you know, him shouting out some dedications. Like I, I told my wife about this and you know what my wife said? She said, what other band does that? Like what other yeah. huge pop or rock or country band will stop a show and read like, hey, it's this person's birthday or hey, it's this person's wedding anniversary or hey, this person has got, come to their 20th show and they want to like, who does that? And for me, like moments like that, like you said, there are moments where someone will come on stage or um, moments where, it's, you know, like me being pulled up that are really magical that I, I truly don't think happens anywhere else outside of the Fort Worth show being what it was for me. I think that Wrigley show um, 
because of the fact they opened with release and also because i don't know if you remember like it, it rained oh i was there really yeah it i remember really really bad for a moment there and then the, they were fighting i think there was like a like a noise restriction time limit or something yeah. they were fighting and had to like just do the show <laughs> uh the show must go on bish yes. had a concert in chicago the same night and let's just say, I guess, Pearl Jam was a lot friendlier with the local Chicago government than Fish was. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, or just, true. well, more respected, I guess. Yeah, they, that, they did not get to play was... until 3 a.m. or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. No, that show that show will, will stay with me always. And uh, the forward show will stay with me always. And, and every show that I've, I've been to, um, there's a moment in it that just strikes a chord in you. And... Uh, I'm a journal guy. Like I journal a lot. I like to write about my day and like, I'll sometimes go back and, and it'll just be like a, a, one particular song in a show, just kind of the way Eddie sang it, you know, like his, like his voice was so strong in this, in this particular song or what have you, um, or the band was for whatever reason on another level for this particular song. And, and, and I don't think there's a, such a thing as a bad Pearl Jam show. I think, uh, you know, that's what that's what's great about being a fan of theirs is that you know you stumble into something miraculous just about every show even if it's just a song or a moment something miraculous is going to happen 100 that's why you do it that's why we do it that's why everybody that tuned into this that's why we all do it and we all love it and it is soothing for the soul Absolutely. so thank you hey. both so much for talking to me tonight oh thank oh, you no thank story. you this yeah i i you know coming out of that like i didn't even think uh, one of my friends i guess saw your post the day after and he tagged me and he's like well would you would you want to get him on the show and you know there's so much going on in my mind at the time mainly that you know two things that i had covid and i could potentially be moving out of my house <laughs> and uh, so I wasn't even thinking in terms of like, oh, let's get him for an interview. And usually I would. That's something I'm usually on top of. So I got to give a shout out to Brian Anderson for that. And once he said something like, I'm on it. I'm on <laughs> it. Yes. Mainly just because I wanted to be able to tell your story and have you be able to tell your story and share it with everybody else. Because stories are no good if you don't tell anybody. You know what I mean? You're, you're a poet. I don't have to tell you anything. <laughs> well, thank you both so much. Y'all have a fantastic night. You too, man. And go and go check out Joaquin's books. He's he's published. He's he's. I think he's got a new thing coming out next year. So definitely check that out. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Thank you everybody for tuning in. We'll see you next time. I believe next week's episode is the Ohana Encore episode. So get ready and excited for that. I know a lot of you remember that only being two years ago. So a lot of the memories will be fresh. We'll be sharing that with you guys along with our good friend Dakota, who will be telling his story. So until then, we will see you next time. Thanks all. My mom was 17 when she had me, but she was younger and more rebellious and more beautiful than most 17 year olds can be at that age. So she was busy being young and rebellious and beautiful on the streets of our city, Dallas, when I was a child, a young person. For this reason, she was in and out of my life. I don't fault her for that. I love my mother very much and I get it. I was once young and beautiful too. My father left the year I was born, and he never came back. It was because of all of this that I was raised by my abuelo, grandfather. He was my mother, and my father, and my grandfather, and my teacher, and my everything. When I was 14, he died in a car accident, and I became homeless. More importantly, it was the first time in my life, my young life, that I felt fatherless. I spent most nights bouncing around from place to place. Many nights sleeping under the concrete pavilions at Titsy Park in Old East Dallas. But I was never alone. 
because the sound of the voice and the music of Pearl Jam was with me in my headphones, reminding me that the pain I was feeling wasn't rage at the universe for taking my grandfather from me, but a hurting from the fact that I had all the love in the world inside of me and nowhere to put it. Pearl Jam's music made me strong, made me whole, made me realize that music and art and poetry, these are the things that we live and breathe and die for. Your music reminded me that I was alive. So thank you for creating that art and music and poetry. It saved me in every way a person can be saved. I will be forever grateful to you.